0: Hey everybody, so coming at you live, driving I-79 North, so teach as we travel here. So let's just talk a little bit about shock. That seems to be a big holdup for a lot of people, especially at entry-level EMT basics. So one thing you need to realize is people can be in shock and not really be presenting with big crazy signs and symptoms like the pale, cool, phoresis and altered mental statuses. These can be first subtle signs if you're getting to them early. So one of the first things you're gonna notice about somebody in shock is their mental status. You know, those patient assessments of alert, verbal, painful, unresponsive. Just getting that general impression of the patient. So if just looking at them, if they just generally appear very ill or appear just kind of being lethargic, that needs to be going through your head right away. When you first go up and you make that medical handshake and you're touching the patient, you're feeling for a pulse, you're checking how well the blood is circulating through their body by feeling that pulse and feeling the skin. So as you feel that skin, if it's cool, you know that not a lot of ATP is being produced There isn't much energy being produced, so they're missing something. So in the event of trauma or hypoperfusion, That could be a lack of just blood or other kind of volumes that isn't gonna produce much heat and energy. So we're noticing that patient who's got that cool skin first. Okay, so now we're gonna be looking at that pulse. Is it going fast? Is the pulse rate regular? Is it it, it bounding? When we push down on that, are we able to kind of compress that pulse? So just a little bit of pressure if that pulse goes away, that's gonna be a thready pulse, also awesome an indicator of them going into the shock. Okay, so those really quick assessments are gonna let you know pretty quick just by feeling their perfusion status by touching the patient if they're in shock or not. Okay, so if you go up to that patient, you go to reach for a radial pulse and they are pale, they're cool, no matter what's going on, that radial pulse is not there, their blood pressure is low, and they're going to be in shock. OK, so on average, depending on which research you read, that radial pulse is going to create a systolic pressure of at least 80. Sometimes you can find them a little bit lower, sometimes more. But regardless, if a radial pulse has gone away, they are hypoperfusing. There's not enough arterial pressure to get to that extremity that far away from the heart. So they are hypoperfusing. Okay, so when we get further into those assessments, um, we can start noticing some other things okay so yeah, that patient will also present with signs and symptoms of anxiety okay because when those baroreceptors in the body and chemoreceptors are assessing that the vascular walls are losing pressure they're going to start kicking in that sympathetic response system so they're going to have that anxious feeling um, same way if you've ever been startled like now, driving up the road, and you almost get in a wreck, and you got that, oh, shit, and then you just get scared real quick. And just the way you feel, you're startled, you feel a little anxious, your heart rate's up a little bit, you might be breathing a little bit faster, but nothing crazy, okay? Just little subtle things. Uh, Same way if you were to take pre-workout, your heart rate's going up a little bit, you're just kind of getting a little bit jittery, you're just not really calm and relaxed, okay? So that's one of the first things you're going to see in those patients, that sympathetic response system kicks in because it's fight mode. The body's under attack. Something's wrong. That sympathetic response system kicks in, pumps up the heart rate, starts causing vasoconstriction if those vascular walls are losing pressure. And you're going to get that heart rate up, anxiety, and that respiratory rate up a little bit. And again, those aren't anything crazy. You know, our normal heart rate 60 to 100. So that can be as subtle as that patient having a heart rate of 100. Maybe they're breathing 22, 24 times a minute and are just a little bit anxious. But they still got a blood pressure of 110 over 60. So we got to quickly and be continually assessing those vital signs every five minutes that we suspect shock. Okay, so in the whole cascade of shock and the body's ability to coagulate and stuff, about 15 minutes. If they're not going on the shock in about that first 15 minutes, they're probably not going to. The body's going to be able to respond and compensate well enough. Even if that means they kind of go into uh, a mild stage decompensated shock, the body's going to be able to do all it's going to do. So, you know, if after this patient's been involved in a traumatic injury, you know, within, you know, 20, 30 minutes later, if everything's still pretty stable, really good chance that everything's going to stay stable. Okay, so thinking about these things. So you're going and you're putting on the monitor, you're checking those heart rates and you're checking pulse oximetry and you're checking blood pressures and you're listening to the lung sounds, you're feeling, uh, checking circulation, motor sensory and all their fur, furthest extremities. Okay, those are all tools just to help differential diagnose these patients. So one thing's not gonna fit all just because they've got a high heart rate or their blood pressure's minimal. Those aren't things good enough just to say, based on those little things, that they're definitely in shock. So you got to use those assessments. Okay, so remember, first things first. The sympathetic response system kicks in, makes that patient just a little bit nervous, anxious, heart rate's going up, the body's compensating by the sympathetic response system. Okay, so now what if there's something in the person's system that doesn't let the sympathetic response system kick in, such as a patient who's on a bunch of downers or they're on beta blockers, A geriatric patient who's on metoprolol because they have a chronic you know, high heart rate or the blood pressure is high. So that limits that sympathetic response system from kicking in to allow that heart rate to go up To allow that vasoconstriction to happen that needs to happen to compensate so those kind of people can go to decompensated shock very fast because well they don't have anything to help them compensate so what is decompensated shock it's again it's not one of those just one thing generally marks it you know historically that's hypotension blood pressure less than 100 but if that patient is to the point where their skin is changing, their mental status is changing, even if that blood pressure is still, you know, 90 or 100, depending on where you're at and what your protocols say about what hypotension is, kind of the general consensus is 100. So even if that blood pressure is still like 102 or something, but if they're starting to have that pale, cool skin, and a little bit of change in all their mental status, especially if that's positional. So if that patient lying down is fine, but you put them up in a high fowlers, and now the heart's trying to pump blood uphill to their brain, and they become more lethargic, and they want to lay back. Or they're okay while they're sitting down, but you go and help them stand up, and then all of a sudden they get really lightheaded and get almost a sense of vertigo, The patient's in shock. Okay, and so and on that note, too, Do those positional things with patients to help you assess. Um, You know, we got that patient who's maybe had some sinkable episodes or something. As you're standing them up, you know, hold their hand, help them stand up. Keep your hand on that radial pulse. So if you feel that radial pulse while they're sitting down and everything's okay, but then as soon as they stand up, that radial pulse goes away. What's that called? Orthostatic hypotension. They are in shock that pulse goes away because there's not enough fluid the heart can't have doesn't have the ability to pump that blood all the way uphill to the brain whether that's from loss of fluid or you know from hypovolemic shock or if it's cardiogenic shock the heart just has lost its ability to pump and squeeze as well as it should okay so now let's real quick talk on those points of the classifications of shock The number one that we see in the pre-hospital setting in EMS is hypovolemic shock. And so that means, you know, a loss of volume less than normal amounts of volume. If it is specifically blood that's being lost, that's hemorrhagic shock. Okay, so you've got your broad umbrella category of hypovolemic shock, and then hemorrhagic shock is included in that that's specifically blood. If they're losing other fluids, say, you know, from... Uh, means dehydration, such as emesis and vomiting. If they've had diarrhea, they're just have extreme sweating. That is specifically hypovolemic because it's just fluid and electrolytes that they are losing, not the blood. Okay, so that's number one we see, hypovolemic shock, more specifically hemorrhagic shock. Next, uh, probably one of the other bigger ones we see is cardiogenic shock that person's, uh, something has caused the person's heart to lose its ability to squeeze as adequately as it should. So in the event of a person having a myocardial infarction, that tissue's damaged, it's cramped, you don't have that contractility, that heart doesn't have the ability to squeeze as well as it normally should to get that blood flowing out. Uh, in the event of a dysrhythmia, such as a heart rate that is too slow or is way too fast, that blood can't keep the blood flow can't keep up by the heart squeezing so fast, or by the heart squeezing slow, it's not getting enough blood out. Okay, so remember in our pathophys of that cardiac output of stroke volume times heart rate. Okay, so if a heart rate's really slow, we're not maintaining that cardiac output. The stroke volume is going to be the same, but if a heart rate's slow, the cardiac output is diminished reduces perfusion, reduces perfusion, hypoperfusion, That's shock. Or in the event if it's way too fast, that as fast as that heart's squeezing and beating, it's just beating too fast that it doesn't have time to completely refill with all the blood. So before that heart can you know, contract and relax, the amount of blood that's coming back in hasn't filled up that ventricle enough yet. So heart's just spitting and sputtering out a little bit of blood. Okay, it's just like if you're trying to drive really fast and your fuel tank isn't really full You're not getting enough fuel back in your tank to get it all ejected out Okay, so you've got heart damage by myocardial infarction, a dysrhythmia generally your cardiogenic shock And then we've got obstructive shock Caused by an obstruction like a clot Such as a pulmonary embolism or you know, a clot really anywhere. So in that pulmonary embolism, remember, signs of that is clear and equal breath sounds, and unexplainable hypoxia. So if this person is just hypoxic, you can't figure out why. You're supplementing them with high flow oxygen, nothing's changing. That alveolar uh, chamber, the alveoli, is just blocked with a clot. The air you breathe in gets to it but the gas exchange doesn't happen and it doesn't get into the bloodstream and then it's going to end up causing acidosis and another cascade of effects that are going to ultimately cause uh, vasodilation and cause them to go into shock. Okay, So they've lost that ability to get the amount of blood flowing that needs to because of that clot. Uh, Next is your um, distributive shock. So that's going to be something that has caused... The distribution of blood to just be messed up, and by distribution, what distributes all of our blood, our blood vessels. So if they have just dilated, the pathway has just gotten bigger, and all of a sudden it goes down. So imagine some place you know that's like a little stream, and you put a little paper sailboat down into it, but all of a sudden, magically, the shore of that stream just widens. So the depth of that water is gonna get more shallow and your little paper boat's not gonna flow. So those instances are gonna be like neurogenic shock where the spinal cord gets damaged, there's no signal to it and it randomly dilates. Or from events like anaphylaxis, those vessels sense an intruder and the histamine release just makes them very super dramatic and those vessels completely dilate causing that hypotension. Okay, so you've got hypolemic shock, obstructive shock, and distributive shock. Those are going to be your big three. Okay, then other kind of gray areas is um, caused by such things as like a tension pneumothorax or cardiac tamponade. And depending on what you read, that can be either from classified as cardiogenic shock if it's damage to the heart or um, an obstructive shock caused by that compression Um, being pushed against it just causing issues. Okay, so quick, that was just right at 15 minutes covering some quick shock things. So just keep reading, keep plugging away, just keep studying.